1: Hello and welcome back to the e-commerce Brain Trust Podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, from Bobsled and Acadia Company. And today I'm joined by a colleague from Bobsled, Thales Ferreira, who is a project manager at Bobsled. Welcome to the show, Thales.
0: Thank you very much, Kiri, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So Thales has spent most of his career focused on project management international and domestic logistics, and also in the pet category before making the transition to Amazon account management five years ago. So we're just speaking a little bit before the show about your background failures, but tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got into the world of logistics and what kind of things you worked on before you made the move over to Amazon.
0: Of course, I was working in a company that brought pet treats from around the world to the U.S., and I was in charge of managing their projects, yearly projects, and also taking care of talking with suppliers abroad and coordinated the shipment of containers from their warehouses, wherever they were, in Brazil, China, Europe, and bringing them to the U.S. and distributing them across the largest retail Logistic chains. We supplied Walmart, Walgreens, Target, among others.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, when did Amazon sort of first come onto the scene for you, in amongst those other retailers that you mentioned?
0: The company I was working with, they had an Amazon account, but it was not being actively managed. So I saw that as an opportunity for growth for the company, and I took it as a personal project and brought the account from Vendor Central to Seller Central and helped it grow in the next years and really fell in love with the process and management of the account.
1: Oh, there you go. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: well, there's a lot that we're going to dig into today. We're going to get into sort of along that journey. I've got so many questions for you, like all the things that you've learned about logistics and international supply chain, and then especially when it comes to Amazon, because that is even for people with a logistics and supply chain background, once they get into the Amazon ecosystem, it just works very, very differently to other retail supply chains. So I'd love to get into some of these sort of things that you've seen that are different from other retail supply chains and maybe some like mistakes that you see brands making or maybe, you know, even you made yourself early on. Mm -hmm. Let's get into that then, like the common mistakes that you see.
0: Okay, and that happened because Amazon is really a completely different environment than regular logistics. And since it was a personal project of mine, I was involved in that first Amazon account fully. So I was responsible for every facet of the management, including preparing the product and shipping. So indeed, I did make a lot of mistakes there and learn from that. And there are a couple of, not going to say errors, but oversights that I see some of our clients even making time and time again that are related to just these differences between how the logistic chain work for a Walmart than what is on Amazon. Yeah. So And it yeah, is let- very different.
1: Well, let's get into some of those because these are, like you said, These are mistakes anyone could make, even someone like yourself with a big sort of background here. We see clients making some mistakes because they're treating it like other channels. Give us Mm -hmm. a sense of what a few examples of those things that are different.
0: Yes, I think the first issue that people have is not really understanding how the Amazon logistics system works, what it is, because we just think of Amazon as another company. However, they spent the last... 20 years, just improving their system, automating the system. So everything is automated. And it works different than most warehouses where people have had an experience in logistics. So if you go online on YouTube, you can find tours, virtual tours of their receiving facilities. And it is an amazing enterprise. People don't realize that Amazon receives Upwards to 20 to 50 trucks a day, thousands and thousands of boxes, which should mm. they have to be scanned into the system, they have to be processed and see if everything is okay. And in all this, everyone that's working there, they don't have time to really pay attention to clients' merchandise in particular. They just see a box. If it scans, it passes, not. They just go along in the, in the chain. If it doesn't scan or there's any issue, it has to be put it aside. So somebody else needs to work on it and have a human mind. Just mm-hmm. take a look and see what's wrong. So most people don't understand that. And they feel, oh, but people who are going to receive this, they will read the label on the box. They yeah. will know what my product is. And they don't really. Mm-hmm. That's yep. one of the major mistakes that already start just before shipping whatever we are going to ship to Amazon. Yeah. So, another issue that we have is how to identify our products because Amazon works with different codes to mean different things. Most people are familiar with the UPC barcodes, which are the ones that the, every company acquires from GS1 to identify their products globally. However, Amazon uses two other codes to identify your products. So besides the UPC, they use what's called the ASIN, or the Amazon Standard Identification Number. This is just a number that's going to identify your product in Amazon's system. So basically, they associate the UPC with a number that they create, so they know what the product is. And lastly, they have what's called the FNSKU, which is just saying the Fulfillment Network Stock Keeping Unit. Mm -hmm. This is a third number that Amazon uses to identify both the UPC, both the product, and who is selling. A simple example, this is a little complicated, but a simple example would be using an iPhone from Apple. So every iPhone has a UPC code that Apple assigns to it so they know which is the model of the phone. If they're going to list it on Amazon, Amazon is going to assign an ASIN just to relate to the UPC so that Amazon knows what iPhone is. And lastly, the FNSKU will be a number that would associate the UPC, the ASIN, and also Apple. So that way, Amazon can differentiate the iPhone that's sold by Apple the same iPhone that's being sold by Best Buy, the same iPhone that's being sold by at t mm-hmm. The issue here is that sometimes people don't know exactly which code to use. How should they label the products? Because Amazon sometimes expects to see in the product the FNSKU. So if you put only the UPC, it can get lost in the logistic chain. Yep. So this is a, also an issue that causes some delays because it forces Amazon employees to put your product aside and on a different queue so that they can know exactly which product it is and who does it belong to.
1: And there's a related issue here, right, around commingling inventory as well. And this is going to be the case if there's multiple sellers of the same product, right, where where the inventory and Sellers don't realize this, but if there are multiple sellers of your products, which if you're the brand and you're operating your seller or vendor central account, then you might have distributors selling those products too, Mm -hmm. which you may or may not be happy about, but there's not really anything you can do about that, which is a topic for another time. But if you don't have the settings configured correctly, then Amazon will commingle all of that inventory together. So the end shopper is potentially going to receive your inventory or they may receive the distributor's inventory. And that can create some issues for brands where there are sort of like known issues in the supply chain. Sometimes there's counterfeiting issues that happen.
0: And this is especially true regarding grocery items. We have best before dates. So sometimes people may receive an item that's close to expiring, but they didn't get it from you. They got it from a reseller who was just using the same product.
1: Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah, there can be quality concerns with expiring products, open products. Open products is an interesting one as well, which you might get into. But just the other day, I purchased, on Prime Day actually, a aromatherapy diffuser. And when it arrived, it had clearly been used. It was open, it was broken, and you could definitely smell that someone had already been using this product. It just smelled like, I don't know, some kind of essential oil. It was obviously a returned item, but it had been thrown back on the shelf by Amazon and resold. So why does that happen and what can brands do to make sure that That kind of experience doesn't happen to shoppers.
0: That is regarding how you deal with the returns from items, because Amazon allows people to return items up to 30 days, I believe most of them, without any question. So you have the option as a seller to tell Amazon, okay, so everything that's returned, just take a look. And if it is in working condition, just put it back on the shelf and resell it. Or you can ask them to return to you or even dispose of the product. It really depends on how do you approach that. Because from a company's side point of view, it is inventory that could be sellable and is already at their warehouse. So might as well make the extra money. The safe option is always to ask them to ship it back to your warehouse so that your people can evaluate and see if it's really in the condition to be resold. Because as I mentioned before, this goes into the first mistake that I had pointed out, not understanding the Amazon network. You are dealing with people who are not familiar with the product. So they may have seen this, your sent this diffuser and say, okay, it's good enough to be resold again. And they make the decision. You are trusting Amazon employees to make that decision for you. So if you ask them to, okay, return everything to me and we'll take a look and see if it's good enough to be sold or not. So it really is a matter of how you deal with your returns.
1: Yep. Makes a lot of sense. And you're totally right. There is a bit of a balancing act between, you know, a lot of the stuff that gets returned to Amazon could be in resellable condition and it's fine to get them to do that it saves time and expense and you know things getting tied up in the supply chain if you just have Amazon resell those items but then it creates a pretty bad customer experience on those occasions where items are resold that shouldn't be like with mine, with my diffuser, it was kind of annoying. I had to return the old one. Amazon Mm -hmm. did ship me out a new replacement right away and said, you need to return the old unit, but you can do so at any time in the next 30 days. In the meantime, we're going to ship you out this brand new one. But it was still, it was an annoyance for me. And Mm -hmm. I'm someone who understands how Things work. So, for Amazon shoppers who don't understand, well, this product was clearly just kind of like resold, they might have a pretty poor view of the brand and say, well, yes, you know, this lipstick was clearly opened. And wow, L'Oreal doesn't have any quality <sighs> controls when it's actually sort of something that's happening on Amazon's end. So, yes. to be, like you said, to be on the safe side. You should be inspecting all of that inventory yourself, but it does have the disadvantage of extra time, extra cost, and having that inventory unavailable to sell for quite a while.
0: Yes. And this is also especially true on the grocery side of items, Mm. because by FDA regulations, you can't even receive the product back. I know when we were, uh, my old company, we were dealing with pet treats. We never took any returns. We always ask customers, OK, you want a refund, we can refund you, but please dispose of the product because our logistics couldn't handle taking the product back and reselling to other people. This was FISMA regulation, so we couldn't do that. With electronics and clothing, it's a bit different, but there's this also this extra risk when you are dealing with grocery items. Amazon shouldn't allow people to return food products, but they do.
1: Right. So yeah, the onus, if you're a CPG brand, really the onus is on you to make sure that those settings are updated. You're not having any CPG items in particular shouldn't Mm -hmm. be put back on the shelf at Amazon.
0: And I think what you said is very true. The Amazon system, the onus is always on you as the seller. Even on Vendor Central, Amazon puts, they have a great system, but it's always you have to take charge of your product and help them succeed because they are giving you the option of selling on their network, their fulfillment chain, but they also need your help. Some people think, okay, so I'm going to put my product on Amazon and Amazon will take care of it. It's not really true. And we see that at Bobsled and Acadia as well, as there needs to be some oversight and basically just telling Amazon how to sell your product, which leads also to another issue, which is going out of stock of the products, because Amazon cannot sell the products if you don't give them If you don't ship them enough inventory for them to fulfill your items. So I see a lot of issues where people really don't understand the time it takes for the products to be processed in the logistic chain. Mm -hmm. So before Prime Day, Prime Day is a little different, but before Prime Day, if you ship what we call a small parcel that is just single boxes by FedEx or UPS, the products take around two to three weeks to be available and in the stock on Amazon so that customers can buy it. If you are shipping pallets less than a truckload, this can take between three to six weeks before everything is available. So by the time Amazon says, okay, you are running out of stock, sometimes it's already too late. So we need to always keep a look on how the sales velocity that you are seeing, Account for any new strategies that may increase sales and always look forward three months ahead, which is mm-hmm. usual when you are dealing with international logistics. Because when I was in my old company, we took around two months to receive a container, wow. so yep. all our purchases had to be scheduled six months to one year in advance. Otherwise, you will run out of stock. Right. And, of course, if they don't have the product, people will not find it. Yep. And it's terrible for us to see a brand that's on the rise, people are buying the products, they are looking for the products, and they are out of stock.
1: So tell us, and this is a really important point, and it's something that is not often really considered when you're talking about Amazon growth and... What do you need to do to be successful on Amazon? You think about advertising and you think about product content and what sort of seems to fall by the wayside for a lot of companies is inventory availability and forecasting and things like that. Mm -hmm. And to your point about all the different sort of receiving and transit times for different ways of getting inventory to Amazon, they're all different and it depends on what is going on in the world at the time as well. So in 2020, getting inventory into Amazon for Prime Day was extremely challenging. It was so backlogged. And we had a number of clients had extreme issues with their inventory getting to Amazon on time. In some cases, inventory just got sort of wiped off the face of the planet. Like just whole trucks Mm -hmm. of inventory just did not arrive at Amazon for months and just had some container had been you know left at the back of a Mm -hmm. lot and didn't get unloaded for months so (laughs) these are anomalies and it's they're terrifying and can be kind of devastating when they happen but those anomalies aside inventory planning and projections are extremely important with your work at bobsled and helping your clients with inventory projections, what are some of the factors that you put together when doing those inventory projections for brands that are selling sort of omni-channel, they're selling elsewhere as well?
0: Yes. Well, 2020 was difficult for everybody in regarding logistics. Products were not arriving. The logistics chain around the world were impacted and are still impacted. We're still seeing some issues with trucks moving containers. When I was in the old company, I had containers sitting on the train yard for three weeks because they didn't have trucks to bring the last 40 miles to our warehouse. But... To the point of what do we look for when forecasting? We just need to check how are sales up to this moment? So how has they been in the last seven days, in the last 30 days? Are they trending up or they're trending down? We need to take into account how much spent we are doing in advertising. Are we investing a lot in advertising so we can expect sales to increase? So it is kind of needs some experience taking a look of it. There is some guesswork involved because it really is a holistic approach. You have to see what's the market right now. Is the product seasonal? Are we coming into it? For example, we have one of our clients who sells maple syrup. Their biggest business is in Q4. So right now, we need to start looking and Preparing for that increased demand. If I just focus on what they sold 30 days ago, we are going to run out of stock. So it really is, as I said, a holistic view that you have to take into account how the account is behaving. What's the customer going to be looking for? What are the initiatives we are taking with this account? And try to estimate how much is going to be, how much the demand is going to be. and still pad a little bit because there's always unforeseen events. Maybe the advertising was so good that performed way over what we expected. So we have to allow for that. On the other hand, we cannot put too much stock because whatever is on Amazon, we are paying for that.
1: Right. Yes. And that is such a great point because that's the flip side of the coin is, okay, you, you know, there's so many downsides to running out of stock. Why not just send in tons of stock? But Amazon doesn't want to be used as a warehouse. They want to be sort of more like a just in time model, which, and so they sort of penalize brands for having too much inventory. So you have long term storage fees, which are really high. So they're trying to incentivize brands to just have enough inventory available. So it does, Mm -hmm. you need to be very careful. You can't be overstocked either.
0: Yes. And the just-in-time philosophy is one that I'm very familiar with and I really admire it. And it really is what you should apply to any logistic chain, even if it's for Walmart, for Target. Amazon is just another example. So the idea is to really get as close to it as possible. We probably will not get to everything that's going there is going to be sold in any specific day, but we need to have just enough inventory so that we don't pay too much for it and it is always available for people. So it is a balancing act. And I think the last issue that people take, people don't take into account when selling on Amazon, is how much freight costs. Because sometimes we can get hit with extra charges and People don't allow that in the pricing. And this comes up in two situations when people are on Seller Central and they are fulfilling through Amazon on FBA. People sometimes don't realize that you will have to pay for that first shipping. You have to get your products to Amazon. So this is an extra cost that impacts your accounts and can lead us to the product not being profitable. And this is especially true on f b m when you are fulfilling from your warehouse, so sometimes people say, "Okay, I'm going to sell this product. It's very cheap three, four dollars to buy, but they don't realize that you are going to have to spend almost six or seven dollars to ship the product and It is a funny thing that happened to me one time where I had to ship a product. Because I had to fulfill my promise to the customer to deliver in two days. And the shipping cost more than the customer paid for the product. It was a product that costs $29.99 and the customer paid only $29.99. But to ship it, I had to pay like $35. So it was right. a major <laughs> yeah. hit on that one. Yeah, But it was a mistake that I did. I didn't take that into account. and. They couldn't do anything else mm. because they had to send the product to the customer.
1: Yeah, lessons learned, I guess. Yes. Well, this has been super informative. I kind of see this as a great 101 for brands who are newer to Amazon. They sell on other channels, but still figuring out the Amazon supply chain piece. Still a lot of questions and mistakes that we see even from brands who have sold on that platform for some time as well, so great 101 or a refresher for someone coming in and overseeing a amazon sales channel for a brand thank you so much for joining me today
0: thank you for having it it was really fun